This week on the audio podcast, episode 65, Friday Early Audio, we have Alan and Heath Desks, IBM's official songbook, we discuss furniture, and, and a fans. whole lot more, and fans, and a whole lot more on this week's The Audio Podcast, recorded the 20th of July, 2012. This is The uh, Audio Podcast, this is episode 65, Friday Early Audio. Why, is it, why that? Because it's Friday, not Monday, because I'm on holiday next Monday. I'm Scott here, as always, I'm joined by... Samuel Freeman, hello. Hello there. And we are we are running at the seat of our pants today, so we have a hangout which we have opened up to all of our circles, but not to the general public. So we're kind of a halfway house, and things might go crazy, but that's okay. Yeah, we we had a go at um, implementing this whole thing through the events, but the hangout that became available through the Google event, um, Google Plus event wouldn't let us do the on-air thing, so confusion, we went back to this, and yeah. Right, so even though it's been not quite a full week, there is still a lot of news to get through, so shall we um, shall we do that? Yeah, let's get into the news. Alright, first up is Alan Heath announced a um, new USB interface mixer thing, so this is the Z6014FX. Yeah. It's got red sides. <laughs> it does look quite gaudy, but it, the features on it sound great. So you've got mic, you've got eight um, mic line inputs. Yeah, uh, two of those have high Things impedance, high impedance inputs, which are yep. designed for uh, being used with guitars <coughs> direct rather than using DI boxes. I'm I'm personally never persuaded that that really works, but it's there <laughs> anyway. You also get a, a stereo USB interface built in as well, so you can record direct or play direct out of a computer as well onto the desk, which is obviously incredibly useful as well. It is, it is only the two channels going through on on a digital into your computer there, so it's not a you, it's not going to work as an eight channel interface, which is what I thought at first. You know, if you had if you had eight lines going in, you could connect those to your computer, but no, I guess that would increase the cost of this thing significantly. Yeah. yeah, but you can do you you can get those kind of desks you can get those desks, can't you? I'm saying we talked about some last in the last couple of weeks as well. So you got to remember this is obviously a, yep. a you know a budget desk. It's designed for kind of live you know <coughs> kind of small scale kind of live bands, kind of pub bands, that sort of stuff. So the opportunity to be able to make your own bootleg recording easily is the kind of key feature here, alongside being able to mix your kind of live show, isn't it? So. Um, That's it, and you know, if you're, you're mixing into a stereo rig anyway, then your recording is a representation of what that was. And yeah, oh, I love this. Apparently, this uh, mixer is a guitarist's dream. Well, that, that's that's been released available <coughs> now. Um, obviously, as an Allen and Heath desk, you'd expect it to sound pretty, pretty awesome. So, I'd have full confidence, full confidence in that. And it has red sides. I, I just failed to get beyond that, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's red. So you've really got to tell people that. Only, only the sides are red, but yeah. I'm wearing a red T-shirt in tribute today. To that. Is that right? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just wearing a red T-shirt. <laughs> awesome, awesome stuff. Shall we move on? Yes. 
So we're on to SoftTube. Uh, SoftTube are running the compressor campaign. So all the way through to August the 21st, they're offering 20% off um, all of their compressors. So uh, the Tube Tech Classic channel, the Summer Audio TLA 100A, and the FET compressor as well as some of their other ones as well. So if you know, it's a special offer. Something that's also really cool, I don't know if anybody's ever, if you've ever bought anything from SoftTube, but they have this accumulative kind of discount thing going on. So if you buy, so at the moment you see all the compressors have 20% off, but if you buy one of them, you'll find that as you buy another item, you actually get additional discounts on the extra items as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. Cool. And um, you also posted that on the SoftTube site there is a page of tips and tricks for establishing your go-to compressor. So looking at those, well, you mentioned three. I think there's four different compressors here. Um, but yeah, talking about the, the different types of compression going on, like whether so the TubeTech CL1Bs and Opto compressor and the FET compressor is obviously not. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, there's also, uh, you might, if you, I, I was in a kind of jovial mood when I was putting these show notes together, so I was pulling out my highlights of everything pretty much, and there is a reference to a secret weapon within the article text, which I think I was kind of happy to see that. It's nice for there to be secret weapons. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to put that as well. It, it is actually a well-written article, and kudos to SoftTube for, you know, running a promotion, but then, you know, doing a little bit extra on the side as well, so... A lot of people there might be like, well, I'm looking for a plug-in compressor, SoftTube are going to offer 20% off, but you might not be sure which, you know, which one to go for, and that's, you know, it's, it's a good article in terms of highlighting the differences and comparing them against each other. So, I thought that was, was kind of cool. Yep. So, hence it made it, and which is nice. Shall we, shall we move on? That's, so, Bitwig, we've mentioned this, is it always oh, a bit big, I don't know, but... Um, it's the beta preview is here. I haven't read this one, Scott. So you want to tell us about it? Yeah, so um, Bitweek have entered a private beta, and Computer Music has a detailed preview of the private beta that they got access they got access to. Um, it's it's detailed. There's screenshots and stuff in there. Um, it's really interesting. Bitweek is a browser based um, a br browser based door. But um, it's also, as they say in the review, in the preview review, it really could represent a generational leap. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's meant to be a mix of paradigms and, you know, you're going to be able to do things, whereas live offers the kind of, you know, the arrangement and the session view, what you're going to get here is an opportunity to see both views at the same time, which is quite an interesting, quite an interesting kind of concept as well. Um, I, I, I w I'm very interested about, bit, about about this Bitwig thing. They're doing an incredible publicity job on this because obviously they, I think we've mentioned them probably three times out of four weeks now or something like that because they're they're doing a really good job of bleeding out information slowly in very guarded ways, which is which is fair enough. You know what I'm saying? It's, they're they're working it. We're, 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 I just acknowledge that's a good effort. <laughs> I, I was interested though, and maybe you know we were taking the mick out of Adam and Logic last on Monday. And I wonder whether we need to, whether, whether we should have a have a have a, a discussion about what people actually would want to have in the door, because this idea of there being a generational leap, I I thought was kind of interesting, and it made me think, what would actually, what would that actually be for me? Like, what 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 would I want to change, or what things am I fed up about? And 
you know, it just struck me because we also had the um, the Steinberg Nuendo Live on Monday as well, which in itself they were kind of billing in a similar kind of way. You know, it's a, a change of interface, that kind of thing. So I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't, I, I don't know. I've obviously not been paying that much attention because I hadn't realised that this Bitwig was a browser-based thing, which has um, reminded me of. Um, I think it's Ohm Force Studio. is It's not browser-based, but it does enable collaborative working via internet connection. I think it's maybe it isn't browser-based. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought it was though, but maybe it's not. Maybe it isn't browser-based. <laughs> <laughs> well. No, I don't think it is browser-based. I'm going to take that away. Good. Let's, 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 let's edit that out, shall we? We're not going to edit it out. Maybe it isn't. No. No, it's not going to be browser-based. Oh, good. I am confident. Yeah, because that was the... Yeah, because you were right with the other one browser-based. Yeah. But it does... It is uh, OS, um, OS X, Windows, and Linux. So it's coming out of the support for all of the kind of... You know. Yeah. The, the Linux support is for Ubuntu 12.04, so whether it's whether the support will be further than that or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Shall we move on? We might have we might have curved that a little bit. Yeah. Congratulations, Bitwig, on your publicity. We haven't quite caught up yet. Hand <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> to face from Scott there. Okay. Um, where are we next? There's a van. It's the X32 van. It's on the road. Berenger, I'm really happy about this. <laughs> yeah. They're on tour. Where are they on tour? They're in the United States driving around with a big van with a big mixer inside. And you can go and check it out. Yeah. It's the X32, which is Behringer's first, for, uh, first foray, first serious foray into the digital mixer world. Um, and they, as, as you would expect, it's incredibly competitively priced as all Behringer products are, so it really, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of interest and excitement in it as a as a product, and it is due for launch at the end of this month. My memory serves me correctly, though it's failing me greatly at the moment, so maybe it doesn't. But, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? They, but they are touring all over America with an X32 in a van and doing demos, uh, demonstrations, kind of listening examples and things like that as well. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Uh, the highlights I pulled out, uh, obviously... Uh, it's, uh, it's a multi-channel digital mixer with 16 mix bus, 6 mutes and 8 groups uh, fully programmable preamps and uh, then yes, I, I like to get the nice ones so a 40-bit floating point DSP features unlimited dynamic range <laughs> <laughs> infinite range infinite range it's, uh, it's 32 channels I, I was reading it, I don't know if you I'm going to change the show notes at the end of the show, but in the show notes it currently says two-channel digital mixer because I'm just failed to write the three. As I like, oh, no. <laughs> we should rename this episode. This should just be the head slap episodes. You know? <laughs> oh, well. But that's it. Anyway, the dates, it's all the way through August, um, all over North America. So if you're in, you know, if I'm North America listeners, this is probably a lot more relevant than... For people, but if you're on holiday to America this year, then no, you could go inside your holiday with an X32 demo. I'm sure your loved ones will appreciate that kind of uh, holiday activity. 
<laughs> that's your style, isn't it? It's kind of, kind of you too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Oh, well, maybe, maybe. Um, Talking about, well, I, I don't have any link for this either, other than the fact it kind of reminds <laughs> me of a child's toy. But um, a Gozi console have released the Aura Sit Stand. Yes, this this um these desks. I if I was at work like I planned to be today, then I would be sitting at one of these desks. In fact, the um studio where I have the two speakers behind me, that's they have one of these. And this is a new model where the height of the thing can move up and down electronically. So I guess that means you'd be able to stand around at your desk as well as sit around at it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> This is obviously ideally place to follow the news that sitting at a desk all day isn't good for you, um, which, which was a fairly recent breakthrough, but very obvious all at once. <laughs> which is cool because I've, I've often thought about having a, I've often thought about having a standing desk, and I did actually for a while have a standing desk, and it was very, it's very nice. I much prefer to work standing. It's nice. Mm-hmm. You can bounce around, but then at the same point. You know, there are you know when you're when you're feeling really knackered, it's even more tiring to have to stand up still. So, you know, it it I can see exactly how this would be this would be cool the ability to have it go up and down, and so you can you can work at it, and then if you want to sit down, you can just sit back down at it. I think there's also it handles the accessibility issues as well because, um, you know, if you're in a commercial environment, which are the kind of people buying this sort of thing, there's probably an argument that says health and safety might eventually decide that making people sit is bad for them, but you've still got to cater for people who are, you know, kind of a wheelchair-bound user or somebody like that. So if we set all the desks at standing height, then that's a real problem there. So I think it's it's good that they've kind of, you know, it's kind of cool that this thing's there, and I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun pressing the button and it going up and down. <laughs> it'd be sweet if it was really silent as well, but I have my suspicions it probably makes this, like, horrific grinding noise. Cause yeah, because if you've got, things. especially if you've got, racks full of gear and like mounted in this thing as well I mean yeah I suspect that this will be one of the few furniture reviews that we ever do on this show <laughs> well shall we be shall, shall we be a bit more free and compare this one that we're talking about to the one that I sit at quite often because this one has space for two people to sit inside because they, they kind of wrap around which is kind of nice but the, the one that I usually sit at there's only really space for one person to sit in the wrap around and so for collaborative things, having someone sitting next to you, they're always, they're always over your shoulder. Or they say there's actually space for two people to sit side by side, or stand side by side, of course. Well, that, that's tr- that's true, isn't it? And layout, studio layout's actually <coughs> really important in terms of being able to access things quickly and 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 stuff like that. Like I know that um, I I have a, some compressors in a rack, and because of the way that my cabling all reaches and because of the size of the room I'm currently working in. Um, it's not possible for me to be able to see the compressor as well talking to you. So as a consequence, I tend to, you know, I, I either tend to make a duplicate recording through the compressor or I tend not to use it just because I can't monitor it visually to make sure I'm happy with what it's doing. So whereas if I had a, you know, if I had it laid out in a different way, I'd have it pl- plumbed in and I'd be, you know, keeping an eye on it the whole way through. So there are those kind of things which are, you know, which are kind of, you know, which are important. It is an important thing, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's the kind of thing that you think about once every decade or something, I guess, if not less than that. I don't know. Actually, I, I tend to move the furniture around in my various spaces. I don't have a permanent space that I can call my studio, so every time I want to use slightly different configuration of gear or whatever, or, yeah, I move furniture around 
probably every month, if not more often than that. Um, I think it's a procrastination thing as well. So I need to do something. And I, should, I should probably vacuum this floor. So I'll move all the furniture and put it all back together again. Shall we stop talking about furniture and talk about something slightly more audio and sound related? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is my favourite story this week. Um, Go so, for it then, Sam. Um, oh, mate, all right. So this is the story is happening. Well, okay, we would link to the um, torrent freak coverage of this story, but if you click around and get more coverage of it, somebody made some music on commission for an anti-piracy video, and agreed for its use at a at a at a small film festival. A few years later, they purchase a DVD of a film put the DVD in to watch it and find that there's an advert at the beginning saying you wouldn't steal a handbag. I'm sure we've all seen this. And with their own music playing on there. So the would, you wouldn't steal a handbag advert is using stolen music. They're saying, oh, it's just, okay, yeah. <sighs> so this is a, this is a great effort. Um, it's been going on for quite a while and it's recently been decided that that was obviously wrong and therefore some composition and some royalty payment is actually required and forthcoming and damages have also been attached to it. There's some interesting extensions to the story and um, apparently at one point he was approached by a record label who had involvement with the rights collection agency who for an additional fee would sort the whole thing out for him which um, obviously would, wouldn't have been necessary in any way whatsoever other than the agency weren't willing to pay the, you know, you know, when this kind of protracted battle was kind of ongoing. It's, it's just sad, isn't it? I think it's hilarious. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I always knew there was something wrong with the, the advert on the DVD. I always thought it was the irony that you um, wouldn't, that anyone who was stealing a copy of the film wouldn't be able to see it, but Actually, it was that they were using the music without permission. And I just think, think, just think, if they'd made it so you could skip that advert, <laughs> he would never have seen it. He might not have seen it, mate. It's just, it's, it's just ridiculous. I hate those adverts so much. That's, for me, the, the anti-piracy advert at the start of a DVD is the epitome of why, technology, why all technologies, no matter how good they are, eventually fail. Because it's like, this is a DVD and it's awesome because you'll never have to rewind your cassette like you did with VHS. That was like the opening why this will be awesome. You'll never, you, know, you put it in, you press play, you watch your movie. What do they do next? They whack a like 40 second horrific anti-piracy kind of blurb at the front of it. So it's, it's now as inconvenient as, your, as the movie with the added feature that whereas with your VHS cassette you could remember to rewind it but there is no way of skipping this thing. It just happens. You could remember to rewind it, and you could choose to fast forward through that thing. I mean, it, it was always, yeah. If you can get it, if you can press play just at the point where they say thank you for listening, that was, that's the key to watching VHS. But <laughs> uh, but and anyway, but we've we've you know bits of coverage about it. It's there. You know, I mean, copyright craziness. Okay. Craziness. Um, so, we, if we move on from the copyright craziness, 
How about a ancient technology, the pipe organ? Uh. Mm. <laughs> pipe organs. So, yeah, Guardian have just released the classic pipe organs, six different pipe organs spanning the years with 75 different stops. The stop is the thing which voices the, the organ. I, I asked somebody and they told me that. Um, obviously, before we discuss this in any seriousness, if we are going to discuss it in any serious, um, I have to obviously um, recognize what is possibly the greatest endorsing quote of all time. Um, to my eyes and ears, the organ will ever be the, kind, the king of all instruments. So, so um, obviously, I endorsed. So while while the you know while the you know our viewers and listeners and other people may be expecting that this is a Mozartian <laughs> endorsement of the the organ in general, I would actually suggest that as the audio podcast is capable of time travel, that perhaps a uh, guardian are also capable of time travel and have indeed returned to the past to you know get Mozart to just have a listen to it and he's like oh man that's pretty awesome that's great stuff. I really want to put a video together of like famous people endorsing us now just for fun, but I'm not going to do it. It's okay. I'm not going to do it, but it would be fun. <laughs> there was um, a greater horror was endorsed by um, Winston Churchill this week as well. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't really have much to say about pipe organs. There are lots of them, and. They, obviously, they have lots of stops, which means that you then can make even more of them, like have even more variations of sounds. So, yeah, it, it's I guess pipe organs are useful for various things, and um, you know, I, I attend a church where we have we don't have a pipe organ, we have an electric organ, but they are massive things. So, you know, you're definitely very few people are going to go out and buy themselves a pipe organ, I suspect. So. Well. Also, a, a similar quote, like Sarah says that, but this is a virtual pipe organ collection spoken about misplacing quotes, but there's, um, like, that the pipe organ's power came from its ability to emulate, which is through the stops, you um, create different sounds, <clears throat> and that the computer's power is kind of in the same sphere of being able to emulate. So here we've got a computer emulating the original emulating synthesizer. Nice. I like that. I like cool. That. Well, we've made it to the we've made it to the end of the news, which means it's plunder time. <laughs> Arg. 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 Uh, should I go first? Yeah. So we've got quite a bit of plunder, actually. It was, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, th this was a cool one from the Cakewalk blog, uh, which is a an audio journey through the signal path in Sonar X1. Um. And they actually talk about how audio passes through the, you know, through through Sonar X1. Of particular interest is um, at the very bottom of it. They actually have a graphic, a, a kind of picture diagram, which actually details the whole signal flow as well. Which, for anybody who is using Sonar and they are kind of doing a bit of a push on it on the moment, then this is a great kind of reference for how the audio structure is laid out. And but while it is pretty obvious, if you know. It's nonetheless nice to have these things kind of explicitly written at times, isn't it? So I kind of, yeah, I thought it was cool. I, I kind of liked it, so hence I wanted to, you know. Yep. Hence it made it as a piece of plunder, so there it was. <laughs> I don't have to defend my plunder choice. 
Sam. Aha. Program or be programmed. This is um this is it's at least a couple of years ago. I mean the idea the idea of program be programmed is a lot older than this guy's book, but um I yeah, I was looking for a reference for that phrase and this was all over it. So I've linked to three videos. No, I've not. I've linked to two videos and an audio recording. So the author, I haven't actually included the author's name. I did this late last night. I'm kind of fairly poor here. Um, but the talk was given at South by Southwest in 2010, where, and there's, an edit, there's a five minute, or five minute, 46 seconds edit of that talk on YouTube. There's also a two minute version of like an advert for the book introducing the ideas behind it. But I found that on the author's own website at programorbprogram.com, there is a, an audio file of the whole talk, 55 minutes. And yeah, I thought I would plunder this and let people know it's there because it only had, well, when I loaded it for the first time yesterday, it only had 10, 10 plays on this piece of audio. Now, it's probably not counting the number of downloads. The audio has 47,000 plays, which, you know, for, even by YouTube standards, that's not a massive number, but it's a lot compared to 10. So maybe people don't know it's there, or maybe the counter doesn't work, or, and actually when I went back later in the evening to, to actually grab the URL, because I didn't, uh, gone up to 13, so I don't know, I, maybe the counter doesn't work, or, well, I don't know. But yeah, it's worth a listen. If if you don't want, if you if you're not convinced, then watch one of the shorter ones, and then yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, take an evening to listen to the whole thing. I think it's, it's good stuff in there. Awesome stuff. Um, as always, you, you can find the links on our show notes at uh, theaudiopodcast.co.uk/slash/show/slash/65 because this is show 65. It's nice and easy to go find it there, isn't it? Um, I put another item of plunder up there. Uh, Sam, did you know that IBM had a official songbook? I did know this, and when I read that, I, my mind put me back in memory to where I was when I first learned this, which was, which put me in time at about 1999. So, yeah, I did know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, I've put a link. You can get the official IBM songbook. Um, from there, they actually have a, a whole little section on their website about music at IBM. Uh, apparently, one of the original IBM founders was a big was a, a big believer that kind of communal singing was good for morale in the workforce and good for cohesion. So this is hence they encouraged this to happen. So that's kind of cool. To be honest, I, I maybe buy in with it really. If, if my option is a, a day away on some sort of team building exercise or five minutes of singing once a week, once a week, I, I know which option I'd probably be going for. But you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of cool. But I just thought that was really cool. So hence I, you know, I I was reminded. I yes, I happened to chance to cross the page, and I was like, ah, that should be plunder. So hence it's plunder, which is kind of cool. Um. And that there are there are photos and a whole variety of you know variety of things available there. So really awesome stuff. Cool. Um, our, our final item of plunder. Um, life. Um, well, Scott posted this, but it's the Life Hacker Audio Format Guide. So yeah, uh, it, it's a guide that compares audio formats. Um, it, it 
well, I, I got a couple of things I'd want to do. First of all, it's a good guide and it's worth a read, and it does compare it, it does compare the issues for you. I'm saying audio format. Audio formats are essentially I would suggest a split into four camps. You have lossless and lossy, and then you have proprietary and non-proprietary, and with, within those kind of things there. So you um you know the lossy ones compromise audio quality in exchange for a smaller file size. Um, and proprietary ones are ones which have licensing requirements as opposed to non-proprietary ones which don't have licensing requirements. What, what makes it so confusing is the fact that the number one audio format I would suggest to you is probably MP3, which is a proprietary format which is lossy. So that's it's a, you know, it's a per quality audio file that you get from it and it's one that theoretically you could at some point be forced to pay for the privilege of playing. But that hasn't quite happened yet, but there is no reason Everything that would be required for that to come about legally exists. It's just an issue of the MP3 consortium haven't made that choice to do it. And whether they ever would or ever will is obviously a, you know, a question we don't know the answer to. But it is there. But I, I wanted to just ask your opinion on this a little bit because while while the formats are generally known as either kind of a lossy or lossless, I was actually thinking that the lossless format, something like WAV, A, FLAC. They're not. They're strictly speaking, they are actually lossy as well, aren't they? But just to a lesser degree. Well, within each format, within you can have a WAV file that's a that you know one thousand kilohertz sample rate. That's pretty. You're losing a lot of stuff if you were to set it like that. So it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was just thinking, just as I was, you know, kind of reading through the article and thinking about how we were going to talk about it, and that it, it dawned on me that that kind of thing that actually all digital audio formats are lossy, and it's just a measure of how lossy they actually are and what, what that balance, what that balance actually is. So I'm not sure what the alternative term would would be, or could be, or should be. Or. Well, I think it's they're talking relative to the CD most often, aren't they? So. A WAV file that's 16-bit, 44 kilohertz stereo is, compared to CD audio, lossless because it's the same thing. Whereas an MP3 of that, you're losing information relative to that. Yes. No, I, I, I agree with that. Yes. I agree entirely with that statement. So, so I mean, maybe... If, if you're starting with a CD source, then it's fair to say that a WAV file at 16-bit, 44.1 is except, you know, is is introducing no additional data loss or degradation. Whereas an MP3 file is obviously, you know, compressing and losing information there. That's, that's fine, I can, but I can accept now, that. Now, the CD format is quite old, and unless you're trying to save time and space, you're not going to be recording at 1644, unless, you know, I, I, don't, know, I know that you perhaps do. Um, but standards are now for kind of 24, 96 and higher, when, what, what, what would you call that then? If, if, if the CD audio quality is the baseline and then from there you can have lossless where you stay there or lossy where you go, what is it if you can get more? What, is that Mori? Mori formats? Moreless? Um, loss? No, I don't know. I, I'm not <laughs> loss plus, maybe. Loss be. plus, yeah. Lossless plus, that's it. <laughs> Anti-lossless. Anti-lossless. 
it is interesting, isn't it? Because you're right there. Because even even at 2496, or let, let's go away, like say 2492, you're still you you would still technically be losing information in, from the analog domain into the when you do the digital conversion. You're always losing some information at that point, and it's kind of interesting because I think back to that item we talked about dynamic levels. Um, you know, we talked about the loudness wars. I think maybe yep. two, three weeks ago, and they pointed out there that the vinyl, the vinyl media actually has less compression applied to it and has more variation in the dynamics because it's because they they choose to master it in that way, and that that just struck me as an interesting as an interesting idea there because that's obviously an analog format which arguably probably is less lossy in many situations than a digital format perhaps would be. Yep. <laughs> that was cracking up a little bit, so I only caught most of what you, well, half what you said, so. Uh, <sighs> oh, we can, we, I, yeah, yeah. I'd invite remarks and comments from people and what they think. It strikes me as another one which would be good for kind of, kind of discussion. It, yeah. You know, you, you were alluding there to the fact that I tend to record it, you know, 44.1 and 16-bit all the time, and yeah, I do. The, the main reason for that is purely just because of the fact that, you know, most of the stuff I do is kind of podcast-based or this, this kind of thing here, and at the end of the day, we compress it, almost comp compress it nearly flat and turn it into an MP3, and we make them, you know, we want the MP3s to be small because then they download quicker to people, and no minutes. You know, does the quality, you know, where does the quality actually matter? Because if you're listening on a pair of in-ear headphones walking down the side of a road or in your car, which I would suggest are two of the major listening environments for people nowadays, you know, there's no, there's nothing high quality about that environment at all. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I would, because it, you know, you, you can sit people in room and sit people in a room and play, you know, play something at 24-bit at 96K and say, all right, that's that, and here, and then play it again at a lower rate, and they might be like, oh, it, yeah, it sounded different, but I'm fairly certain if you were to run that test for somebody walking down the side of a road, they, you know, I mean, there'd be no, there'd be no discernible difference, I don't think, in that kind of situation at all. So, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, well, well, I think we're pretty much there. What do you think? I reckon so. We've made it to the end of the plunder, which is usually the point where the show ends. That's cool. Cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome stuff. So this has been the uh, audio podcast. Yes. <laughs> show 65, <laughs> Friday early audio. Um, we normally record this show on a Monday at 7.30 in a Google Plus Hangout. You're more than welcome. If you're part of our circles, then we will invite you in. If you want to come on the show, then send us an email, and we'll try and sort that out. You can find out how to contact us at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um, I've been Scott Hewitt and I'm Samuel Freeman goodbye bye